Welcome to the NBA Deep Dives podcast. I'm your host, Nick Agar Johnson. The basketball season has already technically finished, but really this is the actual end of basketball season because we are now finished with Summer League. The Las Vegas Summer League wrapped up recently, and I'm here with Andrew Buchanan, who was actually at the Las Vegas Summer League. So, Andrew, how are you doing? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on again. Thanks for coming on. And if we're going to talk about Summer League, why don't you just start by giving us some sort of idea of what the atmosphere was like, because from all reports, this year was the craziest Las Vegas Summer League possibly ever. I think they broke every kind of attendance record this year, but what was it like actually being on the ground there? It was actually better than some of the Bucks games that I've been to, you know, in the middle of the season. Being there for the first Lonzo Ball game, that lob, everyone just lost it. Everyone went absolutely crazy. Uh, and almost all games that the Lakers played in, it was like that. They felt a lot like Lakers home game. Outside of that, it's, it's really nice because it's, it's a much closer and more intimate arena. Uh, at least if you're in Cox Pavilion, which is the practice arena, you're able to see owners, you know, staff members, coaches, uh, even players sitting in support. So it's, it's really nice to get that kind of intimate feel, uh, that's going on there. So the Lakers have not exactly had all that much to cheer about in recent years. And then they got Lonzo Ball with the number two overall pick. And Brandon Ingram was there in Las Vegas for one beautiful game, which we will discuss later. But I think the fact that it's four hours from Los Angeles to Las Vegas and the fact that the Lakers are so massively popular anyway... Yeah. But the fact that they also had a quality team at this summer league, which actually led them to the Las Vegas championship, I think that just sort of added to the atmosphere, but I'm sure it was even more pronounced actually on the ground. Oh, yeah, most definitely. You know, I was sitting behind a Clippers fan. They actually put him up on the Jumbotron and the arena just erupted in booze from Lakers fans. Like, <laughs> it felt like I was in a hostile environment to some degree. I'm just glad that the Bucks didn't have to play him or else they'd be getting heckled for how bad they play. <laughs> uh, actually, the first game that I went to was Bucks versus Cavs and the Lakers right after. And for the whole last minute, the Lakers fans just clapped because the game was finally over. They, they really just didn't care and they just wanted to see their team and they were they were there to support the Lakers. So the Lakers fans were there to see their Lakers, and <laughs> this probably would have been the case anyway, but one of the funniest things I think about this summer league was just how popular Alex Caruso was and how quickly he became so popular, especially since his yeah. first game was pretty rough. <laughs> but after that, I mean, he did well enough that the Lakers fans just fell over themselves to cheer for him, as far as I could tell. But was it even more pronounced in person, or was it a similar sort of crazy atmosphere? Yeah, I didn't really understand it. But, you know, fans just kind of latch on to these things. Caruso had that one, you know, insanely good game where he just did it all. He scored, he assisted, he stole, got like four or five steals. He was looking really good. And then outside of that, no matter how poorly he would do in the following games, it, it really just didn't matter. It was, oh, Alex Caruso is the greatest of all time. And just, you know, stupid stuff like that. I mean, on the one hand, I think it was a little bit overblown, the <laughs> Caruso love. But on the other hand, the Lakers did end up signing him to a two-year deal. So yeah. clearly it wasn't just hype. Yeah, I mean, obviously, you know, He's getting hyped for 
a good reason because he did do uh, pretty well in summer league. I don't think he's really going to be a rotational player in the NBA, but I mean, he did well and like good for him for getting the contract, obviously, because that's almost all these players' goals is not just to prove themselves, but to try and get a contract. One of the other fan favorites at Summer League was Ding Yanyu Hong, who is a star player in China. He's a small forward with a lot of point guard slash lead ball handler type of skills. I think he's good enough that he could be a back of the bench player in the NBA, but given how much of a star he is in China, I'm not sure he's going to want to come over to the NBA especially not now. Maybe he'll do something like what Milos Teodosic just did and come over to the NBA sort of later in his prime, you know, when he's already done everything he can do in the Chinese league, maybe just show up on an NBA roster, prove he can be there, and then go back to being a star in China. But he looked solid in Summer League, and maybe that's obvious because, you know, he's a top-notch professional basketball player, just not in the U.S., but did you get to see any of Ding live, and was it as crazy in the arena as it was on screen? Yeah, it actually, it was. He's one of those guys that's really easy to cheer for, because he would always, like, go all out and go 100%. There were some games where they would play him at center, actually, and he's, you know, going against guys way taller than him, and he's winning these battles on defense, because he just, he digs his heels in and pushes back. Anytime he would shoot a shot, people would cheer uh, there was one instance where somebody else shot the ball and they booed him because they didn't give the ball the ding. So, but I did like him. I liked him a lot. I think that he, like you said, could find a spot on the bench. I think it'd probably be better for him to come over now, even if it's for a couple years, and because he'll definitely make a lot more money over here, and then he can always go back to China because it's not like they're gonna not let him back in because he's their reigning domestic MVP over there. Yeah, he's also only. 23. So mm. again, it's entirely possible that, you know, maybe he comes over in two or three years rather than pulling the Milos and not coming over until he's 30. But maybe if he wins another MVP, they'll decide to them being him and his agent will decide to give it a shot in the NBA. And who knows, maybe a team will bring him over this year. But moving on from sort of the fan favorites to just overall impressions, I mean, I've never been to Vegas Summer League, so I'm just really curious. What was it like being on the ground with all these teams? You know, it's it's a long day because your day starts at about 1.30 and it can go till about 9.30, 10 o'clock. Truth be told, well, first off, let me just say it's 30 bucks for the entire day, which is incredible. And being able to see that much basketball and that many prospects and interact with that many fans is, is great. One of the best parts I found was actually not being in the main arena, but being in the Cox Pavilion was a lot better for seeing and talking to owners, coaches, office, front office personnel. I saw Doc Rivers sitting in the front row and kids, fans, you know, adults would all go up to him and just asked to take a picture with them or something like that. I was able to see the Bucks owners talking with our new GM and just like just right out there, you know, 10 feet away from me. I even sat next to a Wolves front office guy and I was like, hey, you're pretty happy about getting Jimmy Butler. He's like, I have no complaints. It's just really nice because if you compare it, you just can't compare it to an NBA game because when you're at the NBA game, you're paying just to see your team go out on the floor and play and try and win. When you're there in Summer League in Las Vegas, you're there to watch 
all these prospects, all these guys that have been fighting to be in the league as well, you know, just dueling it out on the court in in front of all these scouts and all this talent, appreciation agents and, you know, stuff like that. And, and you get to see kind of the step below, right? And you're not necessarily cheering for a team to win, but you're cheering for some of your favorite players that, or some players that might have become your favorite players, guys that you're going to root for to try and make the NBA. And watching them do well, guys like Forbes, who was a nobody, and then he broke out, and he might get signed to a contract, or like Abdel Nader on the Celtics, who got signed to a contract because he did so well. You root for these guys because it's a lot of people, it's their dream to get into the NBA and succeed. And once they've, you know, proved themselves in the summer league, you just hope that a team will sign them. So how many ice packs did you have to strap to your chest to make it through summer league? <laughs> oh my God. I think, so there were no ice packs, thankfully, but Las Vegas is the only place in the world that I've been to where you don't want there to be wind. It actually was hotter when the wind was blowing. It was incredible. It was 115 degrees with like 5% humidity, and you just felt like you were in an oven just baking. It was, it was horrible. <laughs> you don't want to be outside for more than 5 to 10 minutes or else you start to get a headache and have to sit down and drink a gallon of water. Well, luckily, basketball is an indoor game for all involved. <laughs> Thank God. All right, so we've already talked a lot about the Lakers, and mm -hmm. we're going to talk more about the Lakers. So let's start with the surprises of Summer League. And in terms of the good surprises of Summer League, Kyle Kuzma was really high up there. He was a late first round, early second round grade on draft night, ended up going 27th overall to the Lakers. And he and one other player who we're going to get to very soon, I think Kuzma, more than almost anybody else, really outperformed his draft stock in Las Vegas. I think there are three guys that really looked a lot better than where they were drafted. And granted, it's Summer League, and it's hard to draw too many definitive conclusions from it, but Kuzma looked more athletic than I expected. He shot a lot better from deep. He shot 48% in Summer League after low 30s at Utah last season, mm -hmm. and he's got a solid floor game. He's got pretty good basketball IQ, which granted, everybody's going to look like they have a good basketball IQ when they're playing with Alonzo. <laughs> but I think what impressed me the most about Kuzma is that I think he could really fit in well as a stretch four. And given what the Lakers have on their roster at the moment, I think that's something that will be incredibly important for them since Brandon Ingram just isn't big enough to guard power forwards yet. But what were your thoughts on Kuzma? Kuzma was probably my favorite player that I saw at the Summer League. It was it was very surprising because Michael and I, when we did the mock draft, we didn't think anything about this Kyle Kuzma guy who we saw was like projected in the second round. We didn't utter his name once. And then all of a sudden, here he is tearing it up big time. I don't know how much of it is him benefiting from... Lonzo being his point guard because Lonzo just made everyone look so so good another part of it that I noticed a big thing was Lonzo would be double teamed almost always off of screens set by Kuzma which will not happen in the NBA uh, obviously they're going to lay back let Lonzo shoot and guard Kuzma so I don't know how often he'll get all those open looks that he did get in summer league but what you said he shot 
48% from three after shooting 30% in college. That's a huge step forward. Uh, and I really, I do agree with you. He really outperformed his draft stock. And if he keeps shooting even at, you know, 38%, 40% over the next couple of years, that's an incredible value that you don't usually find at number 27 in the draft. Moving from the 27th overall pick to the 26th overall pick, Caleb Swanigan. And I was higher on Caleb Swanigan than 26. Granted, I didn't think he would be worth more than a mid-20s pick, but here is why I was pretty high on Swanigan. The things that he does well are very translatable to the next level. He is a very solid offensive big man who is really good at rebounding, and his defense was a huge concern coming out of college, which is why he ended up falling towards the back half of the first round, despite being one of the more impressive players in college basketball last year. But my thought on it was, if you're picking in the late 20s, and especially if you're the Portland Trailblazers who took a massive flyer on Zach Collins at number 10, if you're picking at that range in the 20s and you're the Trailblazers, you either want to take an absolute swing for the fences pick or you take a single like Caleb Swanigan. And Swanigan showed that he can continue to repeat his offensive game, which I wasn't surprised by at all, and that he is going to be able to be a good rebounder at the next level, which I also wasn't surprised by at all. And he looked better on defense than I expected, which, granted, even though he's 6'9", he has a 7'3 wingspan, which really helps. But ultimately, Caleb Swanigan will be able to play 10 to 15 minutes a game off the bench as a solid scoring, solid rebounding big man. And he'll be able to do that for the next 10 years. And for the latter half of the first round, I think those are really solid picks to make. And especially if you're Portland and you took a flyer big man earlier in the draft, Caleb Swanigan is exactly what they should have wanted. And he has absolutely lived up to my expectations, which I think were probably higher than most people's. Yeah, he, I think he exceeded, he, or no, he did exceed mine big time. I have a lot of questions still uh, to see how he does against actual NBA talent. But like you said, despite his 6'9 frame, he still does have a uh, 7'3 wingspan. And I was impressed by his offensive prowess because he, he was even knocking down some threes, which I really didn't expect to see. I figured he'd be more, you know, mid-range, around the basket, put back off of offensive rebound sort of guy. Uh, and he did that uh, along with, you know, shooting the three. So I, I agree. I think he was a great pickup for Portland at number 26. And I, I'd like to see him continue to succeed. And I think he will. So I said earlier that Kyle Kuzma was one of the three guys that I really felt have already outperformed their draft stock. And number two on that list, Donovan Mitchell, 13th overall pick. Utah got him in a trade with Denver, which is already looking like a really good trade for Utah. And we'll get to the other half of that trade later. But Mitchell is an incredible athlete and an absolute dog on the defensive end of the floor. And for the 13th overall pick... He's already, I think, shown enough athletically and defensively that he could be a solid rotation player next year. And that is a huge get for Utah, especially after what happened to them this offseason. Yeah. Uh, Donovan Mitchell, uh, I was probably the highest on him out of anyone that I've talked to. And it's really nice to see him even exceed the expectations 
vastly uh, for what I had set regarding uh, Mitchell. He's been able to hit the three consistently. His defense has actually looked even better than it did in college. Uh, he's displayed some playmaking ability, finishing ability. Ooh, I am hard-pressed to see him not succeeding uh, in the Utah Jazz system, especially with Rubio going to be feeding him the ball uh, and a bunch of other offensive talents around him. Joe Ingles, Rodney Hood, uh, Derek Favors, to some extent Rudy Gobert. So I think he's going to continue to impress, and I could see him making one of the all-rookie teams by the end of the year. Someone else who I think is a pretty solid bet to make one of the all-rookie teams, only because he will get a lot of opportunity next season, John Collins for the Atlanta Hawks, taken with the 19th overall pick. And I think that he fell a little bit to 19. I think probably the 15 to 17 range is where I would have thought he would fall because his defense is really bad and that's more important for a big man than it is for a guard but he does everything else really well he is a ridiculous rebounder he got 27 percent of the defensive rebounds while he was on the floor at summer league which on the one hand it's summer league on the other hand rebounding across all levels of basketball translates better than anything else and he's an absurd rebounder and if you haven't seen them yet, do yourself a favor and look up John Collins's two craziest dunks from Summer League because I knew he was decently athletic. I did not know he was this athletic. And if he can become even slightly below average on defense, I think he could be a starter for a very long time. I, again, agree with everything you just said. He surprised me. I was actually in the gym for uh, one of those dunks and I lost it. I went crazy. I was not expecting that sort of athleticism from Collins. So I think the Hawks got a big time steal at 19 and his defense obviously is going to need some work and he's going to need to probably put on some weight. But I think he's quick enough that he might be able to guard some fours. And he's also showed uh, the ability to shoot the three so he can still play the four there uh, a little bit probably later on so I don't I'm not worried about John Collins too much I think he's going to succeed and I think he does have starter potential like you said as well so from an all offense no defense <laughs> player to <laughs> Jordan Bell who I might be one of the very few Kings fans that does not hate the Warriors, partially because I know that the Warriors have been very, very bad for a very long time before their recent stretch. And also, I don't know, possibly because I'm a more positive person than I should be as a Kings fan. But Jordan Bell is just disturbingly perfect for the Warriors. And his lack of any sort of offensive game beyond passing would be a problem if he were playing anywhere else, but he's never going to need to shoot the ball in Golden State. And he can already cover basically anyone two through five, and he's going to need to put on some weight, and he's going to need to be able to at least find one thing that he can do off-ball offensively. Maybe he'll learn to shoot corner threes. I think that's a bit of a stretch, especially at this point in his career. Maybe he's yeah. just going to be a rim runner, which honestly in the Warriors system is fine. But his defense looked great. He was killing the glass on both ends of the floor. And he's going to be a steal for the Warriors. And 
Shout out to the 38th overall pick, which at some point during this offseason, I'm going to come out with a saga of an article on that pick because that was the pick that the Kings traded to the Chicago Bulls that was originally lottery protected and then top 10 protected for six straight years before it became a second round pick, which became Jordan Bell, which the Bulls sold to the Warriors. So that 38th overall pick, I think, is a really interesting one. And even more interesting that the Warriors managed to get a guy who is just a perfect fit for their defensive system with that second round pick. Yeah, so you said it. Jordan Bell and defense, those things kind of go hand in hand. He's going to be learning under the guy that who's, I don't want to say that's a ceiling in Draymond Green, but having Draymond being going to be able to take him under his wing and teach him a lot, I don't see Jordan Bell falling out of favor. And I do see Jordan Bell having a lot of minutes in these upcoming years as that defender who can also play make on offense. He can, you know, kind of anchor your defense. I hate the Warriors right now because I'm sick of them buying the 38th pick. You know, they bought Patrick McCaw from the Bucks last year. And now they're buying Jordan Bell uh, from the Bulls this year. Can people please stop selling the Warriors the 38th overall pick? That would be much obliged. <laughs> All right. One more good surprise before we get to some of the more disappointing surprises. Bryn Forbes, I didn't see much of him, but he was just scoring like crazy in Summer League, and maybe that's because the Spurs didn't have much offensive talent on their Summer League team outside of him, but Forbes hasn't really played much in his career with the Spurs so far, and his showing in Summer League was certainly an encouraging sign, especially since their guard rotation is going to be a little thin to start the year with Tony Parker out. Yeah, so... I added Bryn Forbes in here because he's one of those guys that kills it in Summer League, uh, looking at you, Glenn Rice Jr., and then that ability to score never really translates to the NBA. I thought he killed it. Obviously, in the Summer League, he did a great job scoring the basketball, but A, a team like the Spurs, they have their score. In Kawhi, they don't really need another one, and I don't think a lot of teams are looking for a short guard to you know, score a lot of points unless your name's Isaiah Thomas. So I liked him. I liked what he did. But I think Bryn Forbes is a perfect example of one of those really good D-League players, one of those really good EuroLeague players, but his skill won't really transfer over to the NBA. So let's move on to the more negative surprises. And the first player that you listed here is Jonathan Isaac. I'm not entirely sure I agree with this, so I'm going to let you go ahead and say your piece on Isaac. So I understand because he got injured, so we didn't get to see a full kind of breadth of his work. I just wasn't... When I put Jonathan Isaac down, I was mostly comparing him to the other top 10 picks, and him and later we'll talk about marketing, but those two kind of stood out to me as two of the worst in terms of production. Obviously, Isaac is viewed more as a potential pick, and he probably has some of the higher potential of those picked in the top 10. But from what we kind of saw, he looked lost. That was probably the biggest thing that I noticed was his lack of basketball IQ. Obviously, you know, he's got plenty of time to learn, uh, and I, I still think that he'll probably do well in the NBA. But from just what I saw, strictly in terms of Summer League, I didn't think he played nearly as well as some people were hoping. So my thing on Isaac is just that I don't think there was a single player taken in the lottery, like all of the lottery, whose game is a worse fit 
for Summer League than Jonathan Isaac. He's not a high usage scorer. He's a defensive prospect who can potentially switch all positions with a decent amount of stretch to his game as an average three-point shooter. And in Summer League, if you're a big man, you're never going to get the ball because all the guards are trying to make their ways onto NBA rosters. And defensive excellence is really not going to shine through as much because there are a bunch of guys on the floor that aren't really great offensive players, so there isn't much scoring going on anyway. What I saw from Isaac that I liked is his IQ doesn't look fully there yet, but his athletic tools show, and less in terms of vertical explosion, I think, than I expected, but about as much in terms of lateral mobility as I expected, and I think that lateral mobility and speed at his size is going to be a lot more important to his future than the kinds of things that you're going to get to see from a player like Isaac in a summer league setting. But moving on to someone who I think has a game that's slightly more designed for summer league, Lowry Markinen. he is a seven-footer who can shoot. That is going to be how he makes his NBA career. And I just didn't see enough from Lowry in the other areas of his game to convince me that he could be anything more than a Channing Fry type big man who shoots threes and occasionally drives to the rim and doesn't really do anything else. Yeah, I agree. When I look at him, I see a lot of Frank Kaminsky. And even, like, he doesn't have much on the defensive end. He can hit threes, but again, this is against slower defenders, smaller defenders. I feel like in the NBA, he'll have a lot of trouble not necessarily getting his shot off, but getting off his shot off the dribble or backing down in the post because he's not that strong. Driving to the basket, he doesn't have much, many handles. He's going to be mostly a pick-and-pop guy. He's going to be your Channing Fry or your Frank Kaminsky. I, just, I don't think he's worth the seventh overall pick, and I think a lot of what we saw in the Summer League kind of reinforced that idea. I think he has to be a power forward on defense to be effective at all, just because he's going to be so harmful to your defense if you try and make him your rim protector. And I think center is by far the most important position defensively. And if you're trying to build a defense around Lowry Markinen manning the middle, I just don't see how that works. But the thing about Markinen is he at least showed that he has some skills that will translate to the NBA. And by some skills, I really mean his shooting. But someone who I really didn't see any NBA level skills from in a way that was really disturbing, Tyler Lydon, I just didn't see anything. I don't think he's a good enough athlete to really be even a rotation player. And I don't think he's a good enough shooter to make up for that in any tangible way. And it's summer league again, and you don't want to draw too solid of a set of conclusions from Summer League, but that Donovan Mitchell for Tyler Lydon and Trey Lyles trade is looking awful right now. Yeah, Tyler Lydon looked horrendous. Like, it, it was embarrassing to watch him play. I'm like, this guy was supposed to be, you know, in a first-round pick. He he can't do anything out there. He, he just he couldn't shoot. He couldn't defend. He couldn't pass. He couldn't... He couldn't do anything. I actually just walked out of the Denver Nuggets game and went to the other building because it was so bad. Uh, I was looking forward to seeing him and Juancho Hernan Gomez, but neither of those guys really impressed me all too much. Uh, I agree. I think the Jazz kicked the Nuggets' butt in that trade. 
Tyler Lydon and Trey Lyles, two guys who, well, Trey Lyles hasn't, you know, really amounted to anything yet, and Tyler Lydon looks like he's going to be out of the league in a couple of years, uh, while Donovan Mitchell's looking like a potential starter or sixth man. So, uh, yeah, Tyler Lydon, really bad, very bad. Stay away. One trope that I hear a lot during Summer League every year is that sometimes the good players can be deceiving, but if someone is bad in Summer League, especially for an older player, but if someone looks really bad in Summer League, that's usually a lot more telling than someone looking really good, because someone can look really good and be either Damian Lillard or Josh Selby, but if you can't play at Summer League, you certainly can't play in the NBA. Let's move on to the top picks, and we're going to go through the top five picks and one more guy that I think we both very much want to discuss, but got to start with Markel Fultz. He was solid in his first game in Utah. He was decent throughout Summer League, although he didn't really play after after the injury. The thing about Fultz is I didn't see much that I wasn't expecting, both for better and for worse. He's really good at creating for himself. His vision is not even close to Lonzo level, obviously, but is pretty solid, and it doesn't need to be fantastic if he's going to be playing alongside Ben Simmons. His defense was bad, but everyone knew his defense was bad, and he's still only 19. He's got a lot of time to learn how to play defense. But I wasn't, I guess, more impressed than I expected to be, but I think he basically just lived up to expectations. Yeah, I think, well, Fultz and Ball are going to be compared probably for most of their career, and just solely based off of Summer League, I'd say Ball came out on top by kind of a pretty wide margin. Fultz is clearly the better scorer, better creator of shots, uh, but Ball kind of looks like that player who can make all those teammates around him better, and that's something I didn't really see from Fultz. Um, like you said, Simmons will be the main kind of ball handler on the 76ers, but you didn't see Fultz do much off-ball, I guess. He mostly excelled with the ball in his hands, so it'll be interesting to see if that was just because he was one of the better scorers on the summer league team, or if he really will just kind of struggle to play off ball. Outside of those like criticisms, he he had a very good looking three point shot. Like I said earlier, he's a very good shot creator. So I think that he'll be able to succeed in the NBA. Obviously, especially as number one overall pick, you don't see them not succeed. But I I was a little disappointed. I think when I watched him play, because he didn't quite live up to the expectations that I think me and a lot of other people had set for Fultz. So from not living up to expectations to <laughs> exceeding all expectations after an abysmal first game, yeah. Lonzo Ball, who ended up winning the MVP of Las Vegas Summer League, which was very deserved. Just as Jonathan Isaac is exactly the kind of player for whom Summer League is not designed, Summer League is almost designed for players like Lonzo Ball, who are going to have the ball in their hands a lot and who can make everyone around them look better in an environment where if you have a slight talent advantage, you can basically run over some of the undrafted guys who are showing up in Summer League. Ball really struggled to create off the dribble in the half court, which is concerning, but from day one, he's going to be just a force in transition. And watching Brandon Ingram and Kyle Kuzma and the Lakers' young players just 
run up and down with Lonzo orchestrating the show is going to be fun to watch next season. And Lonzo gets a lot of hate that I really think he doesn't deserve. And I think the most important thing about Lonzo is it's just fun to watch him play. And honestly, I don't know what basketball fans or basketball fans for, if not for watching guys who are fun to play, do everything they can. And Lonzo, not great on defense. Again, his handle looked more suspect than I would have liked, but he was very impressive in summer league. Yeah, one of the biggest, there were two big things that I noticed. The first was that he would get the ball after made basket from the other team and immediately look up the court. And the Lakers got tons of baskets off of him immediately pushing the ball uh, directly after a made basket by the opposing team. Something that, you know, you don't really see because the point guard, you know, will take his time, take four seconds to dribble it up the court, and then he'll get into the offense. Ball was always looking to push and push and try and get a basket. The second and probably biggest thing that I noticed was the difference with Ball, the mindset that Ball instilled in everyone's heads on the team. The amount of ball movement the Lakers showed was incredible. It was like watching the Spurs during their beatdown of the Miami Heat in the 2014 NBA Finals. Lonzo, I think, was probably the biggest part of that because a lot of those guys like Zubac, He's not going to pass the ball normally. Or Brandon Ingram was uh, was clearly a good uh, playmaker, but I think he took even bigger steps with Lonzo on the court. Kuzma looked like a great passer. Caruso looked great. They all looked really solid, and they were all willing to pass the ball. And I think that was in big part to Lonzo and his ability to you know pass just as much as he wanted to score. I think the great thing about Lonzo's particular style of unselfish pass-first basketball is having watched Rajon Rondo dribble the air out of the ball and then fling a pass to someone with two seconds left on the shot clock to try and get an assist for an entire year with the Kings. Lonzo (laughs) is very much not that in a way that, you know, maybe he's not going to lead the league in assists like Rondo did that year, but in a way that's just going to create more looks and... A better attitude, honestly, around the Lakers team. And for the Lakers star to go from being Kobe Bryant to Lonzo Ball is just one of the funniest things I can think of. But let's move on to the Lakers' bitter rivals, the Boston Celtics, and their number three overall draft pick, Jason Tatum. And Tatum, a lot of people walked away from Summer League incredibly impressed with, especially the players, because they watched him take and make a bunch of really, really difficult shots. Mm -hmm. But my problem with Tatum is if he tries to take a lot of those looks next season, he's going to hurt the Celtics when he's on the floor because he can't play defense at all. And he can create those mid-range shots for himself anytime he wants. But when you have Isaiah Thomas and Gordon Hayward the most efficient offense that you're going to get is not going to be Jason Tatum dribbling the ball for 12 seconds in the high post and taking a contested fadeaway mid-range jumper. So granted, he's really good at those kinds of shots, but those kinds of shots are inefficient even when you're really good at taking them. And if Tatum is going to be effective for potentially a finals contender in Boston, especially if this Kyrie Irving trade goes through, I'm not sure he's the kind of player that they're going to want next year. I think it's similar to when the Pistons won the championship with Darko Milicic, and if they'd taken Carmelo Anthony, they might not have won the championship because Carmelo might have shot them out of it. And I'm worried that a similar thing to 
what might have happened in Detroit could actually happen in Boston next season. That's interesting, you know, but I think Tatum's not going to get that many minutes next year for the sole reason that he's going to be fighting Jay Crowder, who fits into that Celtic system perfectly, and Gordon Hayward, who's the marquee free agent. Tatum, I can see getting maybe 15 minutes, at most 20 minutes a game, because uh, he's also battling Jalen Brown for minutes. So I don't think he'll struggle too much, and his ability to shoot actually exceeded my expectations. He was hitting threes at a decent clip, and his ability to shot create off the bench, I think, is a, is the skill that any team is gonna want, uh, regardless of you know how it fits into their system. I think Tatum will probably have some growing pains since he is joining a contender next year and won't see the floor too much and won't be able to really play his game. But I think over the next couple of years, he could really kind of grow into that role and replace Jay Crowder in the starting lineup. And eventually, you know, become a 20 point scorer, you know, averaging 45, 40, and 80. Uh, I, I could, I could see that happening because I think Tatum did show a lot of promise in the summer league and I liked a lot of what I saw. Yeah. I think I sounded like I'm more out on Tatum than I actually am. I guess my concern is just that the ways in which he looked impressive are not ways in which he will be helpful to the Celtics next season. I guess the only real thing that I saw that I wasn't expecting is he looked more athletic than I expected him to, and maybe that's just because his real skill is scoring in isolation, which doesn't usually require crazy run-and-jump athletes, but he looked better in that regard than I expected, and he's going to be good. I just think it might take a while, and I'm not sure. Like you mentioned, I'm not sure he's going to see a major role in Boston next season. But someone that will see a major role next season for their team, Josh Jackson for the Phoenix Suns. And I don't know, I wasn't really that impressed with him. I just think that he's going to need to be able to at least be a respectable shooter. And he has shown no signs of that so far. His jumper looked incredibly broken. His free throw shooting last year was a really big red flag, especially since free throw shooting tends to translate to the next level more than college shooting percentages just because you don't take enough threes in any one college season to have a, you know, statistically significant sample size. And I don't know, Jackson's clearly a crazy athlete who can be a solid defensive player, but he looked lost on defense more than I expected him to, and that jump shot is going to be a problem. Yeah, I agree. A lot of the ways that he plays, I see a lot of Andrew Wiggins in in there. Uh, obviously, he's not as good as Wiggins. He probably doesn't have the ceilings that Wiggins has. But I think despite kind of the... Because Wiggins' his big thing was there were a lot of concerns about his jumper and his jumper form as well. Obviously, a recurring theme with Jackson. I, I, I don't know. I just... I like Jackson. I think he will score about you know, 15, 16 points per game this year on 42% per, uh, field goal percentage and like 33% from three. And I think that's a pretty good start uh, for a player. Obviously, this is these are numbers that are totally I just came up with. But after what I saw in Summer League, I agree I wasn't as blown away as I was by someone like Ball or Tatum. But I think that he still will do well. I think eventually his jumper will get you know, fixed to a certain degree and he'll become a decent scorer. All, all these top four guys, you know, at some point or another were projected to go, you know, two, 
three. So the potential's there, and I think that Jackson, you know, will will show what he's worth, you know, this season and next. I think he would be lucky to shoot thirty three percent from deep in his prime. You think so? Oh, yeah, his jump shot. I don't know. Maybe I'm reading a little bit too much into summer league, but he's never had a jump shot. And I don't see him scoring that much next year. I think Devin Booker and Tyler Ulyss are going to score a lot more than he is. That's true. He just doesn't have a varied enough offensive repertoire to put up that much, even on a team where he's likely to get a lot of shot attempts. But moving on to someone who actually shot a lot better than I expected, De'Aaron Fox. De'Aaron Fox might be one of the five fastest players in the NBA next season. And ultimately, I think that if you are ridiculously elite in one particular athletic area, it's hard for you to bust in the NBA. Like, Zach Levine is low-key a terrible defender, but his vertical leap allows him to not only dunk all over everybody— but it also allows him to get a really high release point on his three-point shot, which makes him a better shooter just because it's harder for guys to contest him. And just like I think Zach Levine will be a useful NBA player for as long as he has that vertical leaping ability, I think De'Aaron Fox will be a useful NBA player as long as he has that speed because he can just get by anybody. He can collapse defenses on his way to the rim nearly every time. His mid-range shooting was a lot better than I expected, and I think last year at Kentucky, his shooting looked a lot worse than it did in high school. In high school, he was a little bit above 30% from deep, which isn't really indicative of much. And he still didn't shoot threes in Vegas. But even having a mid-range jumper for Fox is a solid start. He wasn't as good of a passer as I was hoping, but his defense was incredible. And he would just take the ball from guys just basically whenever he felt like it. So his speed... I think will be enough for him to be a solid NBA player. If he can continue to hit that mid-range jump shot at a decent clip, he can be solid on offense pretty quickly. Fox is clearly going to be a project now with George Hill in the fold, but I think Darren Fox in three years is going to look really good just because he can get wherever he needs to. Yeah, I like Fox as well, like big time. He quickly shot up our draft boards and... um I, one player that I see a lot of in Fox is Eric Bledsoe, who, again, came out of college with a lot of the same kind of concerns. Very very speedy, uh, good finisher, but kind of a uh, question mark about his jump shot. Fox, like Bledsoe, has really good defensive ability. And, I mean, just from what I saw, his speed was not overhyped in any way, and he could still do whatever he wanted against higher-level talent than in college. So I I really like Fox and I think he'll he'll do uh, good things for the Kings, especially since he'll learn from George Hill and uh, Zach Randolph and Vince Carter about you know how to be a pro and obviously for Vince Carter and George Hill maybe even a little bit how to shoot. So the last player that we're gonna cover in the section about the rookies was not drafted in the top five, but it's looking more and more like he probably should have been Dennis Smith Jr. My two concerns with Dennis Smith coming into the draft process were his health and his defense. His defense has still looked questionable, and he even admitted shortly after he was drafted that he's going to really need to work on his defense <laughs> next year. 
but everything else about him looks just fantastic. And him and Dirk Nowitzki in pick and roll, pick and pop situations next year is going to be so much fun to watch. And the thing about Dennis Smith that I sort of thought about before the draft process, but is becoming abundantly clear now is he just didn't have enough help at Mm -hmm. NC State to be his best self. He didn't have players around him that could space the floor. He was usually playing with two big men and he didn't have any really good threats in the pick and roll. And I'm kind of glad that Dennis Smith didn't go to New York, although maybe they will end up playing more pick and roll now with Phil Jackson out of the picture. But Dennis Smith is going to be a great pick and roll point guard right away. And he nearly killed someone (laughs) on a dunk in summer league that (laughs) it just makes you realize that a lot of the things that left people concerned about Smith, I think related more to his teammates than people were willing to admit. And everything else that I've seen so far with Dennis Smith in summer league just makes me think that he's got a good shot at being rookie of the year. And even though I'm happy that the Kings took Deer and Fox, just because I think he's a better fit for what the team needs, I would be a lot more shocked if Dennis Smith never makes an all-star team than if Deer and Fox never makes an all-star team. Yeah, I agree. One, uh, I think, big question mark that you left out about Dennis Smith Jr. was his shooting. He shot the ball from three really, really well in the summer. Well, not really, really well, but much better than what was expected in um, a summer league because defenders would constantly go under screens and he would just pull up, just knock it down. So if he can continue to shoot like that and have his insane finishing ability, his offensive versatility is going to be insane because what are you going to do if you run a pick and roll or pick and pop with Dirk, the defenders are just you're either give, giving up a layup or you're giving up a three. And I don't know what they're going to do. Uh, he's going to be surrounded by shooters in, in Dallas with, Wesley Matthews, uh, Harrison Barnes, Dirk Nowitzki. So I I see him succeeding big time over there, much like you were saying. And let's not get Dallas fans too excited, but hey, another number nine overall pick for the Mavericks. <laughs> I think they've had pretty good history with that pick, just, you know, generally speaking. You know, it's all right. All right, before we wrap up, let's just quickly run down some of the important second and third year players. Starting with Brandon Ingram, Brandon Ingram played one game, absolutely destroyed everyone in front of him, and then the Lakers shut him down when they realized that there's just no point in having Ingram in summer league. And Ingram was really good down the stretch of last season, and I think a lot of people were concerned about whether that play down the stretch of the year was real, given how rough he was at the beginning of the season, but he showed everything that anyone could have hoped for in summer league and he destroyed everyone and then left yeah he looked really comfortable everything looked better his ball handling his shooting his playmaking so yeah i think he's primed to have a big year next year someone else who destroyed everybody and then left jalen brown he played for a little bit longer than ingram but jalen brown is a really high iq player and Summer League is not a really high IQ environment, and Jalen Brown was dunking all over people. He was running circles around people. He was one of those guys that was very clearly too good to be playing in Summer League, and he was really impressive. I don't know what else to say. I think he's probably going to play a lot more than Jason Tatum next season, just because he's a better fit for what the Celtics need. Yeah, I agree, because he can stand out. He's a better spot-up shooter than Tatum. He's a better defender than Tatum. 
He's a better playmaker than Tatum. He's a slightly better athlete than Tatum. So yeah, I think I agree. He's he's going to do well next year, and he killed it in Summer League. Two Kings, big men, Scalabissier and Yorgos Papianis. And I was talking to Andrew before the podcast, and as a Kings fan, my solace with these two guys is that if Scal was taken 13th and Yorgos was taken 28th as a flyer, I don't think anybody would really be that upset about it. Scal did not look as good as I would have hoped in Summer League, but I think he showed enough down the stretch of last season to make me think that he's got a bright future. And Yorgos, I just, <laughs> I, I don't see it. I mean, there were times down the stretch of last year where Yorgos looked like he might eventually be competent, but in Summer League, he shot 40% and did not take a single shot from further than six feet away from the basket. I think he averaged eight fouls a game. It certainly felt like he averaged eight fouls a game. And the only thing that he's shown any competency at doing so far in his short NBA career, which (laughs) I'm starting to fear won't last all that much longer, is rebound. And that's helpful. Rebounding is something that I think the two more important big men on the Kings, namely Willie Cauley-Stein and Scalabissier, are not that good at. And also, Harry Giles has been up and down in the rebounding department, but Yorgos is just way too slow to defend, period, but certainly way too slow to defend in the modern NBA. So I'm holding out hope for Scal. I'm not holding out hope for Yorgos. Yeah, I, I agree. I don't see where Yorgos fits in uh, with Scal, Willie, and now Harry Giles coming in, who's a much better fit in today's NBA. I mean, it, it was a questionable pick then. It's a questionable pick now. Uh, so yeah, let's just move on. <laughs> Troy Williams signed with the Rockets on a, I believe it's a partially guaranteed three-year deal. Yeah, first year is guaranteed. Okay, there it is. So yeah, he's a ridiculous athlete who's really, really good in transition. He'll need to develop his shot to have a long NBA career, but he's a good enough athlete that I think he'll be able to stick around for a while. I like Troy Williams a lot. He got some substantial minutes with the Grizzlies uh, last year, and he looked pretty pretty good, actually. And even when he was playing with the Rockets uh, last year after being let go by the Grizzlies, he was looking good. I have high hopes for him, actually higher than I probably should. But after the Summer League, he, he, could, he was shooting threes. He was hitting threes. He was dunking. He was doing a lot of really good things, and I think he could be a, a pretty solid 3 and D player. Even even more so to a certain degree. I could see him averaging 10 points per game on the right team. Obviously, the Rockets, he's not going to get much playing time. But I liked what I saw from him in Summer League. Cech Diallo was someone that I was decently high on last year just because he is an athletic rim protector type in the middle. And I think every team could use someone like that as a bench big man. Just someone who can really play defense and really play with a high motor, and Czech Diallo is that. And he didn't get much opportunity last season. He probably won't get much opportunity this season with Anthony Davis and DeMarcus Cousins presumably taking up almost all of the minutes at the big man positions. But he's got a future, I think. I think he, if he develop a little bit more on the offensive end, he could be a really useful player down the line. Yeah, I I saw him in a couple games, and the biggest thing I noticed was He'd put on a lot of muscle. He was no longer the skinny, you know, kid from 
Kansas. He's a proper, you know, man now. He was bullying guys. He was scoring. He was doing whatever he wanted to. So, yeah, I was impressed. I could see him, you know, getting some minutes. Obviously, he's not going to get a lot. But with guys like Osik, who's not going to play at all, uh, Ajinsa, who looked horrendous last year, you know, why not throw Diallo in the mix? Because I, I think he can definitely help out, you know, on the defensive end, which is really all that they need from anyone not named Anthony Davis, uh, Boogie, or Drew Holiday. So Wayne Selden, I just wanted to mention him quickly because he made it onto one of the all-summer league teams. He's a really good athlete. I thought he was older than he is, but he's still only 22. Granted, last year was his rookie year, but for some reason I just thought he was older. That's probably just me, honestly. (laughs) But he doesn't really have much of a jump shot, and he still needs a little more seasoning. But I could definitely see him being one of those guys that just in two or three years, puts it all together and becomes a decent rotation player. Yeah, him and uh, another undrafted guy from last year, Yogi Ferrell. I think both those guys have a future in the NBA. I'm a lot higher on Yogi Ferrell, though. I've been high on Yogi Ferrell for a while. I, like, the first time I saw him in Summer League for the Nets last year, I immediately, like, staked my claim on the Yogi Ferrell train. I staked on it, you know, for his his four years at IU, so... (laughs) Okay, fair enough. (laughs) Anyway, the last guy I just wanted to talk about quickly because the Warriors in the 38th overall pick, just two years in a row, Pat McCaw looked like he could get a bigger role with the Warriors this coming year than he played last year, especially if they don't re-sign Ian Clark. He could play back a point guard. His handle looks a lot better than it did last year. His passing looks a lot better than it did last year. And he really showed up in the playoffs when they needed him. And... He could get a sizable restricted free agent contract next season, but something about playing on that Warriors team, man, he just looks really good in a way that should be really concerning for anyone that had a hope of challenging the Warriors next season. (laughs) Yeah, and I think the fact that Ian Clark hasn't been signed yet kind of points in the direction that McCaw's going to get those minutes. So, I mean, yeah, he looks good in in, uh, some of the hitting threes, passing the ball. It's just another no steal that or another diamond in the rough that the uh, Warriors have found and have groomed. So more power to them, I suppose. All right. Anything else you want to go over before we wrap up? The Bucks summer league team looked horrendous. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Rashad Vaughn probably will be out of the league in the next couple of years. So yeah. He had one good game. He had one good game, which is the first good game of his NBA career. <laughs> he is able to, if he has confidence, he's the best player out there. But the problem is he has no confidence at all, and it's incredible to watch. I did like Sterling Brown, who was our second-round pick, and I thought DJ Wilson looked all right. Uh, so I wasn't you know, too disappointed from what I saw from all the prospects. But outside of those guys, I didn't really, I wasn't impressed with anyone else on the team. Bronson Koenig, the, the hometown hero, looked horrendous. Uh, and I don't know why we signed him to a two-way contract outside of trying to put some butts in the stands for our new D-League team, or excuse me, G-League team in Oshkosh. So, I mean, I I wasn't impressed. I was saddened, but thankfully, you know, there were a lot of other good teams to see and other good prospects to cheer for. I want to end the podcast on a happier note than that. So shout out to Cinderius Thornwell, who did exactly what he did last season for South Carolina and I think showed that he's going to be a rotation player in the league for quite a while. So props to him. Yeah, the the Bucks actually sold that pick. 
<laughs> we just yeah, I was win. hoping you wouldn't remember that. <laughs> we just can't win, man. We just can't win. <laughs> if you want your team to succeed, buy a pick from the Bucks. I'll have to let Vladdy know about that before next season. Yeah, do it. <laughs> All right. Well, he is Andrew Buchanan. You can find him on Twitter at AndrewB248. You can also find his work on the hashtag basketball website. He writes about the Bucks and is one of our two main draft guys, so you should definitely check out his work. You can find me on Twitter at N-B-A-J-O-H-N-S-O-N. If you've been enjoying the podcast, or if you haven't been enjoying the podcast and want to let me know about it, please feel free to reach out to me either on Twitter, or you can send me an email, nickaj.nba at gmail.com, n-i-c-k-a-j dot n-b-a at gmail.com. And there will be work going up on the hashtag basketball website sporadically throughout the summer. We've sort of hit official full off-season mode at this point, but there's always NBA stuff. The NBA has become a year-round sport at this point, and it's going to be fun to see what happens with this brewing Kyrie Irving situation, among other things. But thanks to Andrew for coming on, and as always, thanks so much for listening.